So welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. This is Corey Barrier. I am your host. So I want to get into um, today, since this is the very first episode, I want to talk to you about who I am, what I've done, what I haven't done, and so you can get to know me and see if you want to continue listening to the podcast. And so I have um, an entrepreneur who we've done many, many things, but let me go back and start. You know, I, I grew up in a very small town. Uh, it's called Mountary, North Carolina now, and it was the original Mayberry. And what I mean by that is the Andy Griffith show was a popular show on television that, um, you know, it had Floyd's Barbershop. It was kind of like your you're the, the best example of a small town um, of a small town life, you know, it was, um, and so that's, yeah, so that's where I grew up and grew up in a, you know, a, a, a middle to upper class family and we lived on a golf course and I had a really good childhood you know, but as a child, I will tell you, I was obese. So I was a fat kid. Um, and that was primarily because, you know, my parents didn't know, uh, you know, we don't, they didn't know what, what we know now. And so the problem, I shouldn't say the problem, just times have changed. And, and so, you know, grew up as a fat kid. I was picked on a lot. Um, no, I mean, I should, when I say a lot, I was picked on for sure um, and made fun of. And, and that happened more so in my sixth grade year there towards the end. And so I decided that, um, well, I'll tell you a quick story. I went to a swimming pool. I went to a pool party at the end of the year. I was invited. And there was several, several people were obviously invited and I went to the so I got there and, and I was swimming and I got on the diving board and I bounced up and down and, and as I just told you I was fat. So I, um, some girls asked me to step up to the diving board or step up on the diving board and bounce up and down. And so I did. Um, and I thought that they thought that I was cute. Well, that wasn't the case. They wanted to see my, tits bounce up and down. So once I realized this, um, needless to say, I was pretty embarrassed. I was pretty shocked. I was just, you know, inside I was devastated. I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to think. Um, and my feelings were hurt and you know, it, it, it started and ended the new me. So what I mean by that is like, you know, at that point I decided that I was not going to go through that anymore. And, and so I, I said, fuck it. And I, at the time, you know, fat was the big craze, you know, eat fat free this or eat fat free that. And so that's exactly what I did is I ate fat free stuff. And I, uh, so I went on a diet, um, and I was age 12 and, and it was, like I said, it was after my sixth grade year. So 
I was, um, I was, I mean, like, dude, like, I would eat cereal for the morning. I would eat, um, yeah, I would eat cereal in the morning, fat-free cereal, fat-free milk. For lunch, I would have a um, fat-free, um, a fat-free Lean Cuisine, I would have, I would have a, I would have fat-free uh, yogurt, I would have fat-free, well, and Lean Cuisine for dinner, really, so the reality is, you know, I, I was going to get that fucking weight off. And so one of the things that did happen, fortunately for me during that time is I was, you know, I, I was able to grow some, I was able to grow, uh, I don't know, two or three inches during that summer. And, and with doing some running and exercising and dieting like a motherfucker, I lost the weight. And so I got, I got the weight off and I was going into my seventh grade year and I was like, yeah, like hey, people are going to notice who, you know, people are going to notice I lost the weight and you know, I'm going to be the fucking cool kid, right? I'm going to be the, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be the fat kid anymore. I'm not going to be the kid that gets made fun of anymore. And so I got to seventh grade and all those things didn't necessarily come true. Um, I'd lost the weight. I was super proud of myself. I was super, you know, uh, confident, more confident. I shouldn't say super. I was more confident. Well, you know, so going into my seventh grade year, we were, you know, we all went to, you know, there was multiple schools going into this one junior high school. So now, uh, you know, I had a set of people that I, you know, associated with, and now there's a whole different group of people coming in. So to make a long story short, um, I never wanted to be fat again. And so as I progressed through high school, you know, I've always dealt with some self doubt, some not feeling like I was ever really good enough. And what I mean by that, I'll just give you a, a quick example is, you know, what grew up in a golf course, we grew up in a country club. And so um, we were around the elite people in my, you know, gigantic fucking city of Mayberry. And, and we never, and I never felt like I really matched up. In other words, I never felt like I was, I never felt like I was really good enough because my parents did okay, right? They did good. My dad did well. My mom was a school teacher, so you can only max out that so far. Um, and, you know, so, uh, so you know, junior high, got through that. I, I did fall into sort of the bad crowd. Um, it's interesting, the evolution of how all this shit works. I kind of bit fell into the bad crowd because it was, you know, I took easier classes, which meant that all the dumbasses were in the easier classes. And so I fell in, fell in with the dumbasses. And so I was one of the dumbasses. 
Um, and I barely did, you know, my schoolwork. I hated school. Didn't do where do didn't do well. Um, and let's just fast forward a little bit till, you know, till eight, till, uh, to high school and high school. Um, you know, in my ninth grade year, I turned 16 and got my car, which my grandfather left me money to buy. And I had already bought it, so on and so forth. And uh, I don't remember if it was 14 or 15 days or so, somewhere in that vicinity after I got my license, after I turned 16. I think it was around March 20th or something around that time. My birthday's March 3rd. Um, I was driving my, at the time, my girlfriend home from a date. And her parents were very strict. My parents were not as strict. My parents split up, by the way, in sixth grade. Oh, yeah, I did leave that part out. So let me back up a moment. So after my sixth grade year, my parents divorced and we moved into, gone to the other side of the city. So kind of the, uh, the bad side of the track, so to speak, which was, needless to say, was devastating to me. It was very, very hard to adjust to that because I had been living with the rich people, you know? And so now my dad's gone, which wasn't that big a deal. Cause he was all, you know, he was gone seven, eight months out of the year traveling with his job. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I had this, you know, my dad, it was not like my dad was there all the time and now he's all of a sudden gone. But, uh, so that part wasn't as hard to deal with as, um, wasn't as hard to deal with as one would have thought. So, um, so let's, let's go, let me get back to my story when I was 16. So I'm driving home and, and I'm going to be late to get my, my then girlfriend home. And like I said, her parents were very strict. It was raining like a motherfucker. And we had just went and, fucked behind a building and in my car. And so I'm driving home and I'm fucking flying. I'm probably driving 80 miles an hour, maybe 90. I don't even know how fast I was going, but it was fast as shit. And it was raining. And so I hydroplane and, and I can only tell you this story because it was told to me because I don't remember. I don't remember what happened. Um, I remember turning left at a stoplight and that's all I remember. But the story, this is how the story was told to me. I turned left at the stoplight. Evidently I was speeding, you know, hit a puddle of water and, uh, uh, my car spun four or five times into the other lane. Uh, during that spin, it threw my then girlfriend out of the car, 85 feet, uh, away from the car, 85 feet. And, and so I hit this other lady head on and she was in a coma for four days. Both of our cars were completely destroyed. She was in a coma for four days. Um, my girlfriend at the time was in a coma for eight days. They had to do surgery on her foot. I don't know, 15 or 16 times cause it was so fucking crushed. Um, I got my first DUI that night and, and, you know, it was just a really, really, really bad night. And, 
which by the way, I wasn't drinking. Um, I smoked cigarettes at the time and I promised my mom I would quit in order to get my license and I didn't. So what I did is I kept pina colada spray in my vehicle and I did that so it would cover up the smell of the cigarettes or so I thought. And so needless to say, when I got the cited for the DUI, it was a shock for two reasons. One, because I didn't drink. And then two, it was my first cousin who gave me the ticket. And it was all over the newspaper. It was on the fucking front page. And so, you know, my girlfriend's parents, my girlfriend's dad was a preacher, Pentecostal holiness preacher. So they're like, you know, fire and brimstone, fucking snakes and, you know, craziness for me anyway. No offense to anybody that's listening that maybe that religion is just not my cup of tea, but to each his own. Um, so... So fast forward just a little bit, you know, I was 16. I had just totaled my vehicle. The girlfriend I was seeing at the time was in, you know, an hour away in a coma, completely in a coma, like non-responsive. And, and so that kind of worked itself out. I got a new vehicle the parents of the girl told me if I ever came near her, she would, they would kill me with a gun that I sold the father. Um, yeah, it was fucking crazy. So, all right, so let's fast forward a little bit. I moved. Um, I wasn't, uh, I left Mount Airy High School, went to North Surrey High School, and then I, um, and I dropped out. I mean, I didn't drop out. I'm sorry. Let me back up. So, so I just, I, I, I skipped school so much in North Surrey that I wasn't going to be able to graduate my senior year. And so my dad, uh, pulled some strings. He knew the principal, uh, at the other, at Mount Airy high school where I had previously went and got me back in. And I wound up making straight A's my senior year. And then I went on to work for my dad. He was the president of vice president of the, of standard commercial tobacco company. And so I followed sale for a year, which was absolutely wild. We, uh, that's when my drinking for sure took off. Um, you know, it was cool because, uh, you know, for six months I would drive these guys around high level executives in the company. And, and basically I was kind of a gopher, so to speak, or, and, but I was in training to learn how to sell tobacco, to follow sale. So what that means is you, it's just like an auction, right? You go and you bid on tobacco with your fingers and your emotions and your eyes and all kinds of weird shit. Um, it was an interesting thing. And so, these guys every day at five o'clock, they started drinking every day at five o'clock. And so I started drinking at five o'clock, even though I had to drive everybody around, nobody gave a fuck. So I did that. So that's when I started drinking pretty heavily and I had to move to Wilson for that and leave my girlfriend at the time behind different girlfriend, by the way, um, left her behind to finish her senior year in college in, in, in high school. And so once that was over in my, my internship, my, my training was over. So let's just fast forward a year. 
um, I decided to go back to school. And so I stopped working for my dad and I moved to Charlotte. Well, um, when I got to Charlotte, the first night I was there, um, I got come, I got alcohol poisoning. Got so fucking wasted on Franzia boxed wine that I had alcohol poison, and I had to go home and sit in the bathtub for fucking three days. Like I was so sick. I was so sick. And then I, you know, and I cheated on my girlfriend at the time. Of course, she didn't know that, but I did. And so that ended that relationship, needless to say. So then I partied like a motherfucker. I mean, I partied. We ate ecstasy. We did acid. We blew lines of coke. We smoked weed. We drank and drank and drank and like went to raves. And I mean, I had a lot of fucking fun, dude. Like we were out in the bars till two, three o'clock in the morning. It was an absolute blast. It really, really was. But this is the thing. It didn't get me anywhere except for some experiences. And so I'll, it leads me to the next uh, adventure. I had a friend who had another friend who owned um, a political store, a political memorabilia store. Um, and this guy would always set up at the national I, both the Republican and, and Democratic National Convention, he would sell memorabilia. He would sell buttons to the Republicans. If it was a Democratic uh, convention, he would sell buttons to the Democrats, buttons to the Republicans. He would hit you know both ends, both protesters and people that were there for the event. So I went up to, um, the first one was Pennsylvania, uh, Philly, um, and the Republican National Convention was there. I was there for three weeks. And, I mean, we just hustled the shit out of buttons. Buttons, I mean, hustled. It was so much fucking fun, dude. Like, it was so much fun. And so I finished that up. And then the second time that I got to do this was in 2004. So 2000 happened. Uh, 2000, I did 2000 and then 2004 rolled around and I did, and, and I did the same thing again in New York. Um, except for this time, um, I was in the middle of my drug dealing. So I was selling cocaine and importing, uh, pharmaceuticals. So Xanax, Valium, Klonopin, Ritalin, um, yeah, I think that's about all. Yeah, I mean, I dealt a little bit in weed, but there was no money in weed. So primarily cocaine. And and so how I got into that was, you know, I was buying it from a guy that, and I was just doing it years before that. Um, so we're in 2004 now. Um, so before that, I had... A friend that I was buying coke from, he was going to, he moved. And so he turned me on. He said, Hey, I want you to take, take over my business. And it was obviously, it was lucrative. So I did that and I did it for several years and I made a whole bunch of fucking money and I had a whole bunch of fucking fun. And uh, so I went to the convention in New York City and, you know, I would be up to three, four, five o'clock in the morning. Now I have to roll back out at 6 37 and get to work. 
but I had my trusty friend alcohol and coke with me and it was, it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. So after that, um, the guy who owned the American, the, uh, the memorabilia, I don't know if I got mention his name, but what, but the guy that owned that asked me and a buddy of mine to follow Al Gore on his tour and sell memorabilia to those guys, to the people that would show up at the rallies. And it was interesting because we had a whole, like, you know, basically we just packed up a whole fuck ton of buttons. And when I say a fuck ton, like trunk full of buttons and a back seat almost full of buttons. And we just took off following Al Gore on his bus tour. And, you know, we were in, I'll, I'll tell you this quick story. Oh, by the way, let me back up for a moment. You know, when I, when I got, when I got to Charlotte also, um, not only did I get alcohol poison, but I also got two DUIs back to back within 30 days. Now, what the hell do you mean two in 30 days? So I got one by cop, uh, let's just say, uh, officer Bob. And then exactly 30 days from that day, I was supposed to be in court. It was a Friday. I was supposed to be in court and I thought my attorney was going to court for me. Well, my attorney didn't show up. So that night I got stopped. It was one thirty in the morning. I really, I'd only had like four, maybe, maybe four beers and, and a shot and I mean, and value and a Valium because I was tired. And so that was an easy night for me. So I, I just didn't think I was in any harm anyway. The guy opens the door. He knows me by my first name because I didn't show up fucking court that day. And so needless to say, he arrests me again. Second DUI. And so, um, all right. So, and I also went to rehab several times in that whole stint for alcohol and never really sobered up, but I did go. Um, all right. So, I'm trying to figure out where I left off here. So, so let's fast. Oh, so we're, so we're following Al Gore and we've got it. We're going somewhere, but we have to go through West Virginia to get there. So we go through West Virginia and uh, can't remember the city, but my buddy decided he was going to snort some no-dos like a dumbass, and a cop saw him. So, so the cop uh, essentially searched the car, found weed, found nothing other than weed, and 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 put us in jail. And what was interesting, it was a pink jail cell. Um, and w the cop kept the damn weed anyway so he let us out because we told him look dude we got to go we got to be at this fucking event in less than 24 hours and you know we got like a i don't know 12 hour drive i don't remember how long it was so so he let us out on our own word and allowed us to come back and pay him on our way back and we did that but we did get to spend several hours in a pink jail cell so Let's fast forward through that. Um, I 
shit, I totally forgot a whole big ass part here. Oh yeah, in two thousand in two thousand I moved out to Las Vegas. Um yep, moved out to Las Vegas and really I moved out to Las Vegas with four ounces of cocaine strapped to my leg on a train. And what I didn't realize is the train, I didn't get a sleeper card. And so the train, I had to sit in a fucking chair for fucking five days, five fucking days on a train. I did meet some people on the train. I did bust out my Coke and we did some blinds on the, on the train. So, you know, the trip wasn't all that bad. So I got out to Vegas I was out there with my buddy in Charlotte who him and his fiance had been living there. And, um, and so he said, Hey, why don't you move out here? And I had a funny feeling back when I was living where I was living, which was in Mount area at the time. Um, I had a funny feeling that something wasn't quite right. And when he asked me, when he said, why don't you just move out here? There was a really, there wasn't very much hesitation. And so I moved and, and, and literally when I got to Las Vegas, I made a call back home and a kid died while I was gone. And I would have probably been responsible, not responsible, but I would, there's a chance that my name could have been involved with that whole situation because he died of an overdose near where I used to live. And so there's a chance that shit could have carried over to, um, to me. So, you know, uh, later on, I'm going to get to this, but you know, this is a great example of, you know, life happening for me, not to me. And so I got out to Vegas, got a job eventually, did a bunch, well, got out there, did a bunch of coke, finally got a job. And the job was selling long distance, except for this is the thing. It was a scam. The company was a fucking scam. Um, and so we called people and sold them. I don't know if you remember this, depending on how old you are. Um, it was 10 cents per minute. Well, what we did was we sold it for seven minutes per call unit. And we said per call unit so fast, nobody knew what the fuck that meant. Well, I didn't even know what the fuck it meant, but there was 30 fucking call units in one minute. So you're getting hammered seven times 30, which is like, you know, a dollar, $2 and 10 cents for every minute. You're getting hammered. Well, the problem also, or the other thing that they would do is when they switched your lines over, they made it damn near impossible for you to switch them back. So, but I got paid, dude. I got paid. I got paid so well to be out there and do that. Um, and so then I started doing crystal meth and my buddy started doing crystal meth. Not, I'm not smoking it, but snorting it because I didn't really care for the smoking part. Well, his fiance kicked us out. And he kicked us out. She kicked us out. And we went and stayed with a friend that I was working with for just a few nights. And we had a decision to make either to go to Mexico or for him to head back and try to mend things with his fiance. Well, I wasn't going to Mexico. So 
he went back and mended things with his, with his fiance. Well, after that, I found a place to live uh, with a guy that worked at the same place that I worked. It was cool because he had a car, he had an apartment, they needed a roommate, him and his girlfriend. Boom. There I was perfect. So I had met a guy that lived above us and he was from the East coast. So we got along really well and I'm sitting on a couch one day and these guys were all partiers big time. And actually there were way far more than partiers, but anyway, so I'm sitting on the couch and there was a guy named Stormy beside of me and they were the on the right. And then on the left, there was a guy named Ed, but they knew each other from being in prison. Now just remember, I'm a pretty clean cut dude. Um, you know, just kind of preppy, da da da, whatever. And so I, so, so they turn on the television and we're watching the news and I'm watching and, and, and this thing comes up about a fucking casino being robbed. Well, the two motherfuckers that robbed it were sitting beside of me, one on the right. One on the left, you could see their fucking face clear as day. And my eyes got big as saucers. In my mind, I'm thinking, dude, you got to be cool. You got to be fucking cool because these motherfuckers are crazy. And they were crazy. So I got out of there by the skin of my teeth. The next day, my buddy Ian, he said, you know, he's like, I'm surprised that, that you got out of here, like, without being killed. He was like, because these two motherfuckers are like, they're serious shit. Like they're serious motherfuckers. Like they're gangbangers. I'm like, what the fuck? So I had no idea what I was dealing with. Oh man. And so, so eventually when the drugs ran out, the money ran out, the job was miserable. Um, I called my dad and told him I was told him I got robbed. He said, you know, I'm going to fucking send you money and I'm going to buy you a plane ticket. He said, you better be on that goddamn plane tomorrow or I'm driving out to Las Vegas and I'm going to find you. So I did. Let's fast forward, move to Wilson with him and his, his my ex stepmom. Got a job rehab, so to speak, which was, you know, I rehabbed on my own pretty much. I got my driver's license back. And then got an apartment and moved to Raleigh. Well, when I moved to Raleigh, um, that's when I met my guy that would sell me the Coke. So now that I've caught you up with that whole big fucking gap that I forgot about, um, let's hop back on to um, All right, so let me think here. What part was I on? So, um, all right, so yes, okay, so let's fast forward to 2005. 2005, I um, got arrested for cocaine, trafficking cocaine. I got caught with four ounces, which is a fuck ton. They decided to go ahead. They, they, you know, they, 
they came to my apartment and they went through everything. They took all of my money. They took all of my pills, thousands. They took all my Coke. They took everything I had, everything I had. And, and so the judge gave me an option at that point, not really at that point, but further down the road, he said, you know, you got one or two choices a year. I'm going to send you to prison for 42 fucking months or you're going to get help. And honestly, I think because I will say that because I'm probably because I'm white, I got that option. And, you know, this is where the system could be, you know, it's probably flawed. I mean, you hear about this all the time anyway. So, so I got, you know, so the guy, so I had to be, go to this uh, facility for six months and the facility was Pentecostal holiness. So I was there and couldn't leave the property. My ex-girlfriend who became my girlfriend came to visit and she would come each week and so on and so forth. But dude, like I was miserable. I had to get up. I would, we would get up, but you know what? Look at the end of the fucking day, I didn't go to prison. I did not go to fucking prison and no matter what I went through is not going to be worse than prison, but it was no cakewalk. I was miserable. I wasn't used to hard labor. We had to build pallets. I had to clean pig guts and shit off of pallets. I had to literally clean shit out of a bathroom. I mean, look, there are times in your life for me that you know you just have to fucking bite the bullet and do what you got to do in order to move the fuck forward. And sometimes you just got to eat some goddamn crow. And this was that time for me. I just had to eat some motherfucking crow and do exactly what I was supposed to do because there was a target on my back because they knew. I was there by court order, which means I have no choice but to follow the rules or I'm going to prison. If they tell my probation officer that I am fucking up, I will go to prison immediately. No fucking questions asked. So I got through the program uh, because I did what I was supposed to do. And I followed the motherfucking rules and I didn't get in trouble. Because I didn't want to go to prison. And, and so, you know, I was scared. I was scared to death. Um, I was scared. You know, I didn't have was you know, I would say I was probably clinically depressed if I had to guess. Um, it was just, it was just, it was, it was definitely something else. So anyway, um, so I got out of there but I had to get married before I got out of there. So I got, I got married because I need, I wanted to get the fuck out of there when I graduated in six months. So I got married the day before I graduated and they let us go off property. Of course I drank that night, stored some Ritalin then came back and graduated, which was, you know, not what I was supposed to be doing. But either way, I fucking graduated and I left. And then, I, you know, reality set in. I got home and I finally, finally, after, you know, I was a convicted felon. No, I mean, I had my high school diploma. I had some college, but I didn't have a college degree. And I had a fucking felony. 
and then you have a goddamn driver's license. So that limits the shit out of what you can do for a job. And I couldn't, I wasn't getting my license back for quite some time. So, um, so let's fast forward, uh, got a job at a pretty big massage chain and you know, I, things were starting to look up until I fucked one of my employees. And when I did that, I got fired, of course. Um, and then shit really hit the motherfucking fan at home because my ex-wife found out and just went berserk. Went berserk at work, went berserk at home, went berserk every motherfucking where. And rightfully so. So got my license back and moved away from her because that was the smart thing to do. And I was still drinking this whole time, by the way. And... But before I left her, I decided I was going to go check out um, a recovery program. It's pretty popular. And I didn't stick with it at the time, but it was an escape for me to go to and, 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 and try to figure out why I couldn't stop drinking. Or fuck it, really. I was just trying to figure out how to drink responsibly. I really wasn't even trying to quit. So, uh, I did get a third DUI sometime in that 2000 to 2004 era. So, um, so I got my license back and they put a blow stick in my car. And I don't know if you know what that is, but let me try to paint a picture for you. It is a device that if you blow into you, you fuck it, if you blow into it wrong, um, the motherfucker will go off and it won't let you start your car. And it sends a signal to the DMV saying, Hey, numb nuts, uh, this dumbass blew into this with alcohol on his breath and set it off. Now his car is not going to move and we're letting you know, so you can yank his fucking license. That happened once the lady she was like, all right, well, it happened once, not a big deal. Second time, she was like, if I see you fucking ass in here again, you're, you're done. So at that point, I had to get serious about my recovery. And so I full-fledged committed to staying sober. And that was August the 12th, 2009. And since then, I have yet to pick up a drink of any sort, shape, form, or fashion. Um, so, I, so I've been sober over 10 years. Um, and, you know, I am, I, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a former alcoholic. You know, I don't claim to be an alcoholic right now because I'm not an alcoholic. I, I, am, I am a former alcoholic does that mean does that mean i can go drink no does that mean i think about drinking no you know can i go sit in a bar yes can i sit in a bar for hours yes and so i just drinking is just not a part of my life anymore but it 
but it is an important part of my life because those 10 years I went from jobless at the beginning to getting a job in sales to then moving up to a, in a job, in a, in a, in a, in a gym chain. I was sales. I busted. I, I was the top salesperson in the whole fucking company from day one. Uh, and that's because I know how to sell and I know how to deal with people. I know how to talk to people. I know how to read them. I know, um, you know, I, I listen to people and what they, what their needs are because look at the end of the day, you got to provide an answer for a need. You've got to be able to provide solutions. And my solution was I'm going to help you to not stay fat essentially. Um, so I knocked it out of the park, to be honest, I really did. Uh, and so my manager at the time said, look, I'm getting ready to move clubs to a bigger club. I want you to come with me. The only stipulation is I want you to be the fitness director. Well, I didn't even have my, I didn't have my training certificate. So I just rolled with it and I rolled into to the fitness director role. And really what that looked like was I was uh, doing fitness. I was doing uh, sales for training basically. So the trainers, you know, there are personal trainers in this world that know how to sell. And they're mostly trainers that do not, that don't know how to sell. And the problem with that is that if you're a great trainer and you don't know how to sell, you don't have any fucking clients. If you're a great salesperson and you kind of know how to train, you're still doing pretty good. So it's all about, you know, how you communicate with people, your tonality, your words, your, your body language, how you speak. So, um, so I moved into that role, got my training license or certificate, whatever, and, and started training in addition to, um, doing the sales. And so then I rolled into a full-time trainer position and I was still top person in the company the whole time I was there, except for a month, no, two months, excuse me, two months. And so it taught me a lot about um, discipline. It taught me a lot about running, kind of running my own business. Cause I always wanted to run my own business legally instead of doing, uh, you know, selling drugs. Uh, I did have a candle company during that drug selling time, which I forgot to talk about, but either way, it was just a cover up. That's all it was. I didn't really make any money. Um, but so, uh, you know, I rolled into, into that position. So anyways, let's fast forward a little bit. In 2013, I decided, okay, I need to make a shell company because I want to be able to write off shit on my taxes. So I did. I created a shell company called FastRx. And that shell company, I did teach a couple of classes, but they were 30 some miles. I mean, uh, yeah, between 25, uh, 25 miles away from where I was working. So there was really no conflict of interest. However, they didn't see it that way. So let's fast forward a little bit. Um, I had already remarried at this time and I was getting a divorce and my ex-wife found out 
that I had done some shit that I wasn't supposed to do. And so she emailed my boss's boss and told them that I had my own company and I was training and da da da. So January, uh, December 31st, 2013, they fired my ass. I was just in a new relationship with another woman and I was out of my ass and like, I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do. So I had to, and you know, I didn't realize all this at the time, but what I had to do was I had to, you know, I had to grab some clients as many as I could build a website through some help and fucking start a business because I didn't have any choice. I was a felon. I didn't have a high, I didn't have a college degree and fuck, I, I didn't have any other choice. I had no other choice but to start my own business. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was a turning point in my life. And the reason it was a turning point in my life is because at that point I had to, I had to dig, I had to grind. I had to fucking do what I had to do to make shit happen. And, and I did that and I built a very successful personal training business. So, um, and so I became a master personal trainer, nutrition, uh, nutrition, uh, coach, um, you know, multiple other fucking things. But the point is, is that I made a business out of it. And with, and so I was, so I, I started, uh, I moved my business into a different location. And I was training one of my clients. I got into some hormone therapy uh, and it was telemedicine. So what I did is I bought into this, this, this group where I could go online and order certain um, like peptides or HCG or, you know, I could, technically I could even order like Viagra and shit like that and, and have it. Uh, mailed to the patient's house. So this was legal because it was telemedicine. It's a long story how it all works, but essentially a doctor had to sign off on everything. But so one of my clients was talking to me and he's understood kind of, he, he was explained to him about that part of my business. And so he and I decided to open up a hormone replacement therapy center and it had laser hair removal. It had all kinds of crazy shit. It had vaginal rejuvenation. It had, um, we had tattoo removal. We had skin, uh, uh, like mark removal. We had, a, um, an acoustic lipolyzer, which was just a machine that helped reduce the fat in your abdominal section. Um, and then we did, you know, we did hormones. We did human growth hormone. We did, uh, peptides. We did testosterone for both women and men. Uh, it was pretty fucking cool. Well, uh, my partner at the time decided he was going to fuck, uh, this girl that I had fired unbeknownst to me. He fucked her and was continuing to fuck her. And so she had fed him a bunch of shit so she could take my position. Well, I still owned half the company and I didn't realize all this shit was going on when he approached me and said, Hey, on October 1st of 2018, a little short, a little more than a year ago, he said, I, um, I'm not going to pay you anymore. 
And I said, what the fuck? <sighs> so I thought, okay, you know, I lost my shit. I completely lost my shit because I had built this motherfucker from the ground up. Bottom line, sweat, tears, blood, money. I had built this motherfucker from the ground up. And this guy who had an agenda outside of what my agenda was, which was to make that damn plan, that place successful. Uh, he essentially just cut me off. So I had to get an attorney. I had to, I had to get an attorney. We had to go to war, so to speak. But at the end of the day, um, I wound up not having to, you know, I wound up walking away with nothing, but I also walked away with no debt. And so fast forward a little bit. So I'll tell you what put me on this, the, 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 the personal development, the, um, the grateful, the idea behind the podcast is to figure out what people's success is. And so the reason I'm telling you my story, so you know the fuck I am, we can move on. But uh, in July of, of 2018, before this all happened, my wife gave me a book that said, okay, fine, I'm grateful. Because I was so negative. I was just a negative person. And I honestly don't even know how people were around me, if I'm being completely honest. And so, um, so I started writing this grateful book. And, and then I started listening to Tony Robbins and listening to several other people, but primarily Tony was my, was my, my, my go-to, so to speak. I would wake up in the morning and I would listen to that motherfucker for two hours and I would journal and I would listen and take notes and write down. And, and so after this whole thing had happened, the thing that was interesting about October 1st, uh, when my ball, when my partner told me what he did was I was supposed to buy my ticket to go see Tony Robbins that day. Well, he didn't fucking pay me. So I didn't have the money to buy the ticket. So two things. One, he's basically saying, hey, fuck off because I'm making a decision that I'm basically ousting you. And I didn't have money to buy my ticket. So several days had rolled around and my wife called and said, hey, I need you to go to your computer. And I said, dude, I'm in the bathroom. What do you need? I was pissed because I was just in bad. I mean, I was in a, was in a not such a good place. Um, I was losing what I'd built. And I sat down in front of my computer and she had, you know, dude, I'll never forget this. She had purchased, she had made a deal with Robin's research and bought me a ticket, a VIP pass to the event that I wanted to go to. And look, you know, that was a moment in my life that I will never, ever forget. And she did that for me because she knew how bad I wanted it and she knew how badly I wanted to go. And guys, like that in itself if you've ever had anybody do something so kind for you, then you understand the feeling that I felt and that I get goosebumps each time I tell the story. Quite honestly, I used 
up until recently, I would cry every time I thought about it because I just sat down at my desk that day. And when I opened that email from Robin's research, I just broke down, dude. Like I broke down. And it was, it was, an, it, it was a day that I'm never, ever going to forget. Because nobody's ever done anything like that for me. Nobody's ever, nobody's ever done anything like that for me. And so I went to see Tony that next month and and my personal development story, you know, journey really had already started. But after I saw Tony and I had heard his message about how what he did in th on Thanksgiving, and if you're not familiar, you should be. But essentially, um, his parents didn't have any money for Thanksgiving and uh, a guy knocked on the door and had a bunch of food for them. And the dad was an asshole and shut the door in the guy's face. And then the guy insisted. And so the dad finally took the food. So I told my wife, I said, we're going to feed a family this year. I said, we're going to cook the meal and we're going to take it to them and leave it on their front porch. I said, I don't want to know who they are. I don't want to have anything. I don't want them to know who we are. I don't want to know who they are ever. And so that's how it went down. And so her, so, so we cooked the food and motherfucker is raining. Anyway. So dude, like we, we cooked the food and we left it on the front porch and driving away from that front porch was the best feeling probably I've ever had. It was a feeling that I'll, that I'll chase, dude. It is a feeling I'm going to chase forever because it felt so good. And that's what leads me to doing this podcast is because I want to help as many people as I possibly can. And even if I only help two people, fuck it. If I only help one person, it's one person that I can help that I couldn't, that I didn't help before. And so, you know, I've had a lot of success in my life, hence why I call the podcast Successful Life. Um, but look, I've also had a whole lot of fucking failures. And those failures got me to where I am today. And those successes is where have have also gotten me where I am today. But without the failures, I would not have learned the lessons that I learned. And, you know, I've been through a lot of shit, dude. I've been through a lot of shit. And I'm grateful. Hell, I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to be 41 years old and be in great health. You know, I look you know, my looks are, I, I look great. My feel great. Um, you know, do I have days that are fucking sad or, or, or down or fearful? Hell yeah, of course. But it's what you do on those days that will define the fuck out of you. If you're having a day that you're fearful, you got to do something to give fucking back, dude. 
you got to give something back because that is what's going to change your life. Tony always says the secret to living is giving. And I found that to be true. So what do you think? What do you call successful? What is successful in your life? Ask yourself that question and stay tuned until next time.